be looking at a familiar psalm, uh, Psalm 46. Psalm 46 tonight in a sermon that I've titled, Remembering Who is in Control. Remembering Who is in Control, Psalm 46. Psalm 46, remembering who is in control. If there is one recurring message we receive from the Psalms, it is that our pain is real, but so is God's presence. Time and time again, the Psalms serve to remind us of God's presence, particularly when we need the reminder the most. When life has us down, God has given us a roadmap back to him, and it starts right in the middle of his word. I don't know about you, but I have found it such a comfort, specifically in the Psalms, because they often show me that whatever it is I am experiencing, it is nothing new. There is someone else who has already been where I am, who has already experienced everything that I'm experiencing and has felt exactly what I'm feeling. There's truly nothing new under the sun. And thankfully, God has given us a record of all of the hardships of man and compiled them in a single volume. And it just happens to be almost dead center in our Bibles. If you take your Bible and just divide it in half, nine times out of ten, depending on how, many, how, much, how big your concordance is at the back of your Bible, you're probably going to open it up to the Psalms. And that's so awesome as you think about how God has just filled these psalms with things that are so practical, things that help us in day-to-day life, all here so that we can find the comfort and find that roadmap back to God when we're in the middle of hardships. There have been countless times where I've done this, where in the middle of something I'm going through, randomly I'll just open up my Bible and I start reading And nine times out of ten, it happens to be in the Psalms, and I find something that's directly applicable to what it is I'm going through. Let the words sink into your heart and mind. Allow them to show you the reality of everything that you're going through, and listen as they direct you into the pathway to find the healing that you need. God doesn't want us to be discouraged and disappointed every single day. He desires that we learn from our mistakes, but that we build our confidence in him. So let the Psalms remind you of God's power. Let them remind you of God's presence. Even though life is going to be difficult and you may not understand why circumstances have come up that you are presently in, let these words remind you that even in the craziness, God is still in control. There is peace offered to those who let the words of God penetrate your heart and sink into the deep recesses of your soul. Feast on the Psalms. Allow them to be the source of comfort they have been for so many other weary and tired souls. Our journey through the Psalms, and I think I may do one more, brings us to Psalm 46 tonight. There are several very familiar verses from this Psalm, one of which is displayed here behind me. Psalm 46, everyone's head just went up. That was pretty funny. Uh, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Those verses, like Psalm 46, verse 1, or Psalm 46, verse 10, have often been imprinted in our minds. We recite them, we quote them to ourselves, especially when we're going through some difficult times. And and it's encouraging that these verses would be familiar to us. But 
I think many of us don't always understand the context of the Psalms. Now, it is true that many of the Psalms we don't know the context for. Some scholars are, are you know, speculating as to what they are. Uh, this Psalm, and I will admit at the onset, that it's not entirely guaranteed or believed that what I'm going to share with you is the necessary context. I believe it is, but there's a possibility it may not be. But I'm going to be approaching it as if the context is known, and I will explain to you what that context is. I believe Psalm 46 was written somewhere around 701 BC when the king of Assyria, a man by the name of Sennacherib, sought to come against Jerusalem. Assyria at that point was, they were the world power. They were the, the empire that was ruling everything, and they were steamrolling every nation, every people group that stood in their path. Among the many empires that would rise and fall throughout history, Assyria was known to be one of the most ruthless. They would do anything in their drive to conquer, often showing no mercy at all along the way. These were during the days of the divided kingdom of the nation of Israel. And the northern kingdom of Israel had already been conquered. They had been carried away captives by Assyria. But now Sennacherib has come against Judah in the south with the center of that nation being the capital city of Jerusalem. Hezekiah was the king of Judah in those days. And we're told that he was a godly man when he came to the throne. For the most part, he did rule that nation well. The nation of Judah had certainly a very rough history, though. But Hezekiah was showing faithfulness to God, and he was bringing restoration back to a land that had suffered a great deal of unrest. We read about the record of Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18, and I want you to listen to what we're told in verses 3 through 7 as we set the context for what I believe to be Psalm 46. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 3 through 7, the Bible says, speaking of Hezekiah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Clearly, Hezekiah was unlike any other king that Assyria had come up against. But soon, Assyria, the Assyrian army would march up to Jerusalem and they would compass the city. They had it completely surrounded. And the Assyrians did everything they could to strike fear into the hearts of the Jews that were there in Jerusalem. And we're told, in fact, what they said in 2 Kings 18, verses 29 to 31. As they're outside the walls of Jerusalem, they're shouting threats and mocking and ridicule to the people that are within the walls. And notice what they say. They say, thus saith the king. This is their king, the Assyrian king. Let not Hezekiah deceive you. For he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah. For thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me. 
And this was certainly discouraging for Hezekiah to hear, for he knew he was outmatched, he knew that he was overpowered, but he had something that Assyria did not have. He had the Lord. God sent a message to Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah. In 2 Kings chapter 19, in verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, and he's speaking to Hezekiah, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So God's message to Hezekiah, who is trapped, he's surrounded, there's no place to go. The Assyrians are going to cut off all the supplies that are coming in. They're going to just end up dying off there in Jerusalem. And God's message to Hezekiah was simple. He says, Hezekiah, it doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter how bad everything looks. Remember that I am God and I am still in control. Now, several days later, Hezekiah would receive a letter from Sennacherib detailing just how Judah would be destroyed. And Hezekiah proceeds to bring the letter into the temple, into the house of God. And it says he spread it out before the Lord. And he basically says, okay, God, now what? God had reassured him that he's in control, that nothing is going to happen. But when this threatening letter arrived, he ran to the Lord and essentially said, Lord, now what do we do? Two days ago, you said we were going to be taken care of. But this letter just arrived today and it doesn't look good. They have clear plans as to how we're going to be destroyed. What are we going to do now? I feel like we are prone to do the same. We know the Lord is in control of our situation because honestly, there is, is there ever a moment when God is not in control of our situation? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've looked back and you can see, yes, at this juncture, definitely God was not in control. Has anyone ever been there? No. Because there's never a moment where God is not in control. And yet, we see Hezekiah react this way, and I think we do the same as well. We know God's in control, but we kind of go to God and say, Well, God, I went to you yesterday over this matter, and you gave me a little bit of peace about it, but then something new developed today. I don't know if you're aware about this, but what are we going to do now? Lord, did you know that this was coming? I know, I know that you were in control earlier, but you were, aware, were you aware that this was also coming? It's silly at times how quickly that we can lose sight of God's power the moment that circumstances change. One moment we're fully trusting that God is in control. We're peaceful, we're settled, we're still, as it says right here behind me. And then the next moment, it's like, we think he's all of a sudden no longer capable. Almost as if someone has knocked him off his throne and now we're scrambling to figure out, well, what do I do now? Whatever confidence we had when God was in control, at least that's what we feel like, has now crumbled and now we're stressed wondering how this new situation is going to be resolved because what was a small problem yesterday is now a massive problem today. And Hezekiah did the right thing in this instance by running straight to the Lord in prayer. And listen to how he closes his prayer in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 18. So there's more to the prayer, but this is just the closing of his prayer. He says, Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, 
that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he trusted enough to leave everything up to God. Hezekiah leaves the temple, goes back to his palace, essentially waits for something to happen. He knows that the Assyrians are set to attack in the morning. They've given, they've given him those details. So he's sitting and just waiting out the night, waiting for the morning to come for when he knows those Assyrians are going to come marching through the walls of Jerusalem. If God is going to intervene, he knows there are only a matter of a few hours for anything to be done. So he just waits. Those were probably some of the most anxious moments of his life as the seconds ticked away and nothing seemed to be happening. He knows the Assyrians are coming and he's waiting for something to happen and nothing seems to be happening. I can tell you that it is never fun watching the clock waiting for something bad to happen. And this is what he's doing. He's waiting for something bad to happen. He's hoping, he's cautiously optimistic that maybe God will come and intervene. He's, he's, if he's got a watch, he's looking at it, and he's thinking, okay, just you know, four hours now. God, I mean, you're really making me sweat here. It'd be a lot better if you just intervened right now. But I know that, you know, even if you showed up in an hour, we can still take care of this. An hour passes. Okay, Lord, we're getting that much closer to the end. That the day is coming to a close and morning is going to come and so are the Assyrians. Now would be the perfect time. If you're going to do anything, intervene now. Another hour passes and another hour passes. And I'm sure he got no sleep that night. But listen to what we read in 2 Kings 19 and verse 35. As we hear what God ended up doing. It says, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Now, I seriously doubt that Hezekiah got any sleep that night. But as the sun rose in the morning, the men of Judah, they returned to their posts, and they look out beyond the walls of Jerusalem, and they find 185,000 dead Assyrians. It was a day that Hezekiah and the nation of Judah would remember forever. And the words of Psalm 46, I believe, and many other scholars believe this, were written to commemorate that specific occasion where God intervened in the 11th hour and brought deliverance to the nation of Judah. It was a celebratory psalm, one in which, as we kind of see, is, is not necessarily known, but believed to be around this occasion. And either way, there are many lessons that we can learn from this psalm. So let's take a look at the psalm as we understand its possible context. I'm going to read all 11 verses, and then we'll come back and we'll point out specific elements of this. But notice what it says here in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. 
He uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I want you to notice several things from this psalm. And first of all, I want you to see that in times of trouble, the best thing for you to do is to run to God. In times of trouble, run to God. The psalm begins by saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When Hezekiah was troubled, as that letter came from Sennacherib, several days after the prophet Isaiah and God spoke to him and said, it's all taken care of. He runs into the temple. He spreads the letter before the Lord and says, Lord, what are we going to do? I know you're in control, and he gives the situation up to him. Even though Hezekiah was stressed, he knew that he could find refuge in God's presence. We read in Psalm 18, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God and my strength in him in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. The same thought is referenced in Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. At a low point in my life, I was reminded of this verse, Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. I was reminded of this verse by the one that God ordained to be my helpmeet. And even though it was a truth that I already knew, at that moment I had lost sight of it. Many of us learn this truth, that God is a refuge. We learn this best through personal experience. And those experiences are generally more trying than they are comforting. As humans, we tend to rely on our own resources at the first sign of trouble, doing everything in our own power to try and fix the situation. When we've exhausted all of our strength, then we might call a friend for help, and as much as they may be willing to help, they often cannot offer us everything that we need. Sometimes they may even make the problem worse, even though they're not trying that. No matter who we may go to, the only true help is going to come from God. We have a hymn in our hymn book, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That was written by Martin Luther and is based off of this psalm, Psalm 46. It became the battle cry for the Protestant Reformation. It is certainly encouraging to know that God indeed is our refuge, but it is equally encouraging to know that God is always accessible. The psalm and verse also says he is a very present help in trouble. Could you imagine if God had office hours? Imagine if we could only approach him at certain times, only certain days out of the week, and even in those days, it wasn't even guaranteed that we catch him during one of his office hours. That would be the worst. He would not be a very present help in trouble because trouble doesn't just show up when it's convenient. 
That's what makes it trouble. As it is, it's hard enough to deal with trouble because people run out on us when trouble arises. Now, thankfully, God is God at all times. God doesn't check out. He doesn't take vacations. God never goes on a coffee break. He never takes a nap. He is never preoccupied. He is a very present help in trouble. When life gets tough and everyone else forsakes us, you know what God does to his children? He pulls us closer to him. When God was giving Moses the command to leave Sinai, he reassured him in Exodus 33, verse 14. And he said, he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. This is exactly what God does for us. His presence as believers is always with us. That is why the psalm goes on to say this in verses 2 and 3. It says, Therefore will not we fear... Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. You know what the psalmist is doing? He's trying to envision the, the most catastrophic events that could ever happen here on this earth. Things that would surely discourage, distress, you name it. Cause every believer to be worried and panicked out of their minds. He says, even the craziest we can still do as it, what it says here and here. Be still. Be still. Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is always accessible and available. He's also timeless. Even the greatest natural disasters, as he lays out here in verses 2 and 3, aren't enough to shake us from the confidence that we have in God. Even if the earth were to completely crumble, we know that God is still our refuge. This earth may be over 6,000 years old, but God is timeless. Sometimes we panic we think, because we think that God is running out of time. What was Hezekiah thinking as the night was going on and he doesn't see God's hand of deliverance coming and sparing him from the Assyrians as he told him through the prophet Isaiah he would do? He's looking at the time and he's thinking, God, we're running out of time. Where are you? The time for you to intervene was yesterday. Where are you? We're getting past a point of no return. But God is not operating in the realm of time that you and I are. He's not bound by time because our God, our almighty, all-sufficient infinitely glorious God is timeless. God is never overmatched and God is never too late. So run to him in times of trouble. And second, in times of trouble, remember your strength. Look again at verse number one. Remember your strength. It says, God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength. It is true that in times of trouble, we run to God often once all of our strength is spent. Fortunately, God is more than just a refuge for us. He is also our strength. One of the fears of Hezekiah was that the Assyrians would outnumber Judah and that once surrounded, they would cut off the resources that they have, such as food and water from ever making it into Jerusalem, and then they would eventually just wait, out, wait them out until they die. But before Sennacherib arrived at Jerusalem, Hezekiah made sure that Jerusalem would not be cut off 
from water, from the Gihon Spring, which was located in the Kidron Valley. He channeled water right into the heart of Jerusalem. He was able to do so and channel that water uh, under the walls of Jerusalem in such a conspicuous way that those that were outside of the walls of Jerusalem had no idea where the water was coming from because they didn't see the channel that was flowing right into the heart of Jerusalem. In Psalm 46, verse 4, it seemed to draw attention to this water source that flowed into Jerusalem. Notice what it says in verse number 4 of Psalm 46. It says, There is a river, the streams whereof, shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. When Jesus stopped, stopped to talk to the woman at the well in Samaria, he had this to say to her in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. He said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Several chapters later, in John chapter 7 and verses 37 to 38, Jesus would also go on to say, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit dwelling within every single believer is a fountain of life-giving water. Many believers don't understand the depths of power through the indwelling Holy Spirit that is within our soul. It is impossible to ever overemphasize the greatness of God's power that is present in every believer through the Holy Spirit. There is truly no reason for believers to ever look anywhere else for strength when trouble arises. You're not looking to yourself, but you're looking to the power that is within you through the power of God and the Holy Spirit. God is not only a refuge for us to run to, but God is also our strength. And he is living within every single child of his. What an incredible thought. He is living within us. And notice what we read in Psalm 46 verses 5 through 7. It says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. God indeed helped Judah. As the night was coming to an end, the sun was about to rise on a new day. The angel of the Lord, we're told, went and dealt with the Assyrians in every way. In every way, the armies of Judah were outmatched, they were outnumbered, they were overpowered. But there was one warrior that the Assyrians never counted on facing. No matter how powerful they had been against every other nation that had come up against them, the Assyrians were no match for the God of Judah. God stepped into time and space and brought deliverance at a time when it seemed too late for anything to be done, much like he did with the three Hebrew children in Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. One of the great lessons we can learn is that when life does get tough, God is holding us closer to him. Sometimes the best place for us as believers to be is in the raging storm, is in the fiery furnace, or completely surrounded by those who seek our destruction because that is when God's presence is felt the strongest. That is when he gathers us up like little hens and, or like a hen gathers her chicks and just pulls us close to him. Remember 
that in times of trouble, God is your strength. And third, in times of trouble, focus on God. Focus on God. Now, this may seem rather obvious, but how often are we thinking about God in times of trouble? One of the best ways that Satan attacks us and is successful in discouraging us is through attacking our mind. If he can keep us from thinking about God, he wins. At that point, it doesn't matter what we're thinking about. It doesn't matter if, if we're thinking about ourselves. It doesn't matter if we're thinking about someone else. As long as we're not thinking about God, he wins. It doesn't matter what else that we're thinking about. If we're not thinking about God, then he is going to win and we're going to suffer discouragement. Because anything apart from God isn't going to offer us any sort of lasting help. A lot of people will surround themselves in times of trouble with good friends, thinking that with the right company, they will help, that will help them in their hour of need. And it can, but even that will fall short. Just look at how much Job's friends helped him. Their advice wasn't all that bad. But for the most part, they didn't even know what was going on in his life. And therefore, they couldn't offer proper counsel to help Job with what he was dealing with. A lot of people can physically be in church, but mentally they're checked out. They may be singing along as we're singing the choruses and hymns. They may also have their Bibles open and maybe even following along to the right passage, but their minds are somewhere other than in church. Their minds are somewhere other than what their pastor is preaching on. Satan loves playing these mind games because he knows the more that we're not thinking about God, the more we're prone to wander and that opens, up, opens us up to discouragement. As much as we don't want to admit it, we are in a battle for our minds. A mind that is not focused on God is one that is going to crumble and one that is going to be susceptible to attack and failure. So how do we go about focusing on God, thinking on God, when the troubles of life seem to be hitting us from all sides? Well, first, remind yourself of what God has done. Remind yourself of what God has done. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. For some reason, people get this misconception of God that he is different during the days of Scripture compared to how he is today. Sure, God may have closed the mouths of those lions for Daniel. Sure, he may have spared those three Hebrew children from burning alive in the fire. Sure, he may have calmed the raging seas for those disciples that were in that boat. But things are different now and so is God. Right? 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 This is where you respond. No! No! He is not different now. He is not different at all. We think that because times are different, therefore God must be different. But God is the same yesterday, today, and also tomorrow. The same God who destroyed 185,000 Assyrians, the same God who parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could pass through on not even muddy ground, but dry ground. The same God who spoke the world into existence is the same God who is at work in our lives today. If you want to know what you can expect from God, how you can expect him to work in your life, just remind yourself of what he's already done. Your problems 
may be monumental to you, but believe me, the Bible is full of records of God's work that make your problems, which are mountain, look like tiny molehills. On top of that, I'm sure there are all sorts of times in our own lives where God has proven himself all-powerful and all-sufficient. So remember how he's done those things. Just look back on how God brought deliverance in your past and reassure yourself that God is as much in control today as he was back then. That is why God delivering the nation of Judah was so important for God's people. It would serve as a constant reminder. It was another mile marker. It was another highlight that they could go back to at some later date and say, hey, remember how in the 11th hour when we thought it was all over for us, God intervened? Well, why should we expect any different with this new problem? Why should we expect the same God to do anything different or to do anything less this time around? Satan may try and get you to think that God has forgotten about you or that he can't do the same for you that he did for someone else. Satan will try to get you to forget about how God has brought deliverance in your life in the past. He'll do everything he can to get you to live a meaningless and a lonely life. That is why it is so important to be reading your Bible. Because even if you forget about what God has done for you personally in your life, reading about what God has done for others on the pages of Scripture will help you focus and to be thinking on God. And second, reclaim the words of God. Reclaim the words of God. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Verse 10 is a very familiar verse to all of us. And the lesson is truly profound when you break down this little verse. Be still. You know what that means? That means stop talking. That means turn off your cell phone. That means stop commenting, stop arguing, stop questioning, stop complaining. It means listen up. Be still and know. And know means to stop doubting. It means to be confident, no second opinions, to have your faith and trust. And it says, be still and know that I am God. What does that last phrase mean? It means that God is almighty. It means that God is in control, that God is love, that God is king, that God is our hope. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is ever-present. He is a help in times of trouble. He is our father. He is our shepherd. He will lead us, nourish us, protect us, and restore us. And the list goes on and on and on and on of how great our God is. And all of that is summed up in the words, be still and know that I am God. But we're not always still, are we? Sometimes there's a circus that is running through our minds. And we couldn't hear God if he were yelling at us. Sometimes we're too busy doing everything else but listening. And this is why God is our refuge as, much, as mentioned in verse number 11. Because a refuge is a place where we can run to to settle our minds and to focus on God. This is the second time we're told that God is with us. Because we have a tendency to hurry through life and to lose sight of that truth. There's no greater truth than to know that God is with you. To some of you, that may seem like a rather simple statement. Almost as if there needs to be something more added to that. Is that enough? Is it enough that God is with us? In times of trouble, is it enough for us to just know that God is with me? Some of us would like to know, also know, what is God's plan for this? God, I'm excited. I'm thrilled that you're with me. But how are we getting out of this? What's your plan? 
How is he going to help me with what I'm dealing with? Lord, I need to know how and when everything is going to be better before I can be still. Don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled that you're here. But just give me a little glimpse into your grand plan so I can really be still. It's interesting how short-term our memories can be. We're so quick to forget the basics of God. We're so quick to forget what it means that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient. We allow the uncertainty of our circumstances to dominate our focus, and before we know it, we've lost focus on God and forgotten just how capable he really is. We forget that all we need to know is that he is with us without needing to know how he's going to deliver us and even when that deliverance is going to come. Some of us lose track of that thought so quickly that we start scrambling for a plan B. Lord, I know that you're here, but do you have reinforcements coming? Is there someone else that we can call on to make sure that this plan really does get settled? This psalm is intended to reassure us that God is stronger than every every army that will ever come against us, every problem that will ever come before us. If God can speak the world into existence, he is more than enough for us. And believe me, in times of trouble, the everlasting Lord with us provides us all the reassurance we need to be still. God is sufficient because God is always in control. As we sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. In fact, he's got everything in his hands. And more than that, God loves you more than what you could ever express in words, so much so that he sent his only begotten son to die for each of us. Would God do all of that for you to allow you to also suffer in times of trouble? God has done all that for you, not to abandon you when the troubles of life come, but to let you know that he is there for you whenever you need him. He is literally waiting with open arms to receive us in all our troubles and to bring us peace and find that he is all we will ever need. So as you go through life, remember who is in control. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that your word is so clear and so encouraging. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you are in control, that you are there to help us, Lord, even in the times of our greatest need. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the great God that we need you to be in all of our circumstances. As we, Lord, prepare for communion, I pray that you would prepare each heart, that we would come before you, the Lord, in the right frame of mind, understanding what we're partaking in and the beautiful symbol this is for what your Son has done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>